This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Donnell Rehagen, Chief Executive Officer of the National Biodiesel Board. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. The American Sugar Alliance is a national coalition of sugar farmers, processors, refiners, and suppliers dedicated to preserving a strong sugar industry. Learn more at sugaralliance.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Donnell Rehagen next. Sugar subsidies in 120 countries are on the rise and threatening 142,000 U.S. jobs. That's why the American Sugar Alliance is pushing for a global subsidy ceasefire. Their goal is a subsidy-free world market that fosters efficiency. And they know that unilateral disarmament of America's no-cost policy without concessions from abroad will only outsource U.S. jobs and reward foreign subsidizers. The plan is called the Zero for Zero Sugar Policy. You can learn more at SugarAlliance.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. After serving 12 years as Chief Operating Officer, the National Biodiesel Board named Donnell Rehagen as its Chief Executive Officer. The National Trade Association has a goal of growing biodiesel production to a tenth of the nation's diesel volume in the next six years. Donnell Rehagen says providing a green, high-quality, renewable fuel source is only one of the benefits of the biodiesel industry. Biodiesel has so many great positive impacts. You're looking at economics of having biodiesel plants in rural areas where we're creating jobs, where biodiesel is a much cleaner product for the environment. Energy security comes into play as well when you look at, you know, we're making biodiesel out of domestically grown feedstocks being produced in plants here in the United States, being consumed in vehicles and equipment here in the United States. It doesn't really get any better. Biodiesel can be produced from a number of sources, and one of those is the soybean. But there are also waste products that come together for biodiesel. Do you support the industry as a whole, or are you targeting specifically on that that comes from the bio-based crop? Biodiesel was born out of soybean oil. That was the first and critical feedstock that was looked at and, and researched to make sure it would be, uh, you know, a product that could work in diesel engines. So. Back in the early 90s, though, our board saw fit, and that's very, very, you know, if you think about the early 90s and where biodiesel was, they were definitely very visionary, but they became an organization. They made the National Biodiesel Board an organization that was feedstock neutral. Uh, So they realized as well uh, that soybean oil alone was not going to uh, grow this market into what it could be. And so today you're seeing a larger amount of biodiesel made out of recycled restaurant greases and oils. Uh, you're also seeing a lot made out of animal fats. Um, so it's, it's reaching out into a broader area of, or, of industries that uh, see the benefit of biodiesel being produced, so creating value not just to soybean oil and soybean farmers, but to uh, livestock farmers and poultry farmers who are growing you know, animals for feed, but also uh, here we are in the biodiesel industry using those, those byproducts and the parts of those uh, animals and the, the seeds that, uh, you know, that are not needed for what they're grown for primarily. What do you see the potential universe for consumption of biodiesel? 
Yes, and our vision is to be 10% of the diesel pool by 2022. That would put us in the 4 billion gallon a year range. And so, you know, for us, uh, feedstocks are, you know, can be limiting for us. And so we've got to make sure that we have the soybean oil, we have the uh, animal fats and that, that can be used to make higher volumes of biodiesel. So uh, that's our first and foremost target. Again, 10% by 2022, so that's about 4 billion gallons. So once we get there, we'll, we'll have to take a look at the landscape and kind of see what feedstocks are, where they are, and maybe there's some new feedstocks that uh, you know, will come into play economically and commercially that uh, can be turned into biodiesel as well. You've also pointed out that you're not at production capacity right now. We are not. Um, our U.S. production capacity for biodiesel is in excess of 3 billion gallons a year. Um, you know, this year, 2016, will be, you know, well over 2 billion gallons. But, and so we have room even today to, uh, to make more biodiesel and to sell more biodiesel. How would you compare our government's support of renewable fuel, biodiesel, compared to other governments, per se, in Europe or Brazil or Argentina? How do we stack up? Yeah, you know what? We actually stack up very well. Um, we're pleased with the support that we see from the U.S. government on renewable fuels and specifically on biodiesel. You know, we, we've been challenged with the consistency of that. You know, our biodiesel tax credit is a, is a key component to our industry and we have seen Congress, uh, allow that credit over the years to lapse and then reinstate it and lapse again. And we're in a scenario like that this year as well. But, um, you know, biodiesel has been more prevalent in Europe uh, and was, uh, you know, definitely uh, in place in Europe way before it was here in the United States. But we're starting to see the European nations pull away politically from that support that, uh, you know, helps those industries grow. And so we're pleased to see that here in the United States that's not the case. Our uh, our belief is the government wants to see uh, the success of our industry and see the growth of our industry, and we're working alongside them to make that happen. You're an industry that's been in place with a product for 25 years. You have a universe of demand, and you have open production capacity. Why is the government's role, especially with the tax break, so important for your industry's survival or growth? Any energy component is very capital intensive. And so for our biodiesel producers, you know, having multi-million gallon plants spread out across the country, it takes a lot of money to make an operation like that work. And so the biodiesel tax credit went into effect in 2005, and that's exactly the time we saw the growth in our industry really, really take off. It just changed the economics of biodiesel production. And so that's not changed today. So for our producers today, making decisions to spend money to increase production capacity at their plants, it takes a lot of money to do that and so the you know the i guess the that that biodiesel tax credit gives us some certainty to that and so that's been the challenge for our members and it's been really difficult quite honestly that for them to have a tax credit one year and not the next and then have it come back and then not the next and so we really would just like to see that consistency in policy that lets our member our producer members make long-term decisions about investments that'll you know help them in their operations i realize i'm asking the choir about the music but i would ask is the tax break for the industry more of a subsidy or is it more of an investment 
You know, I see it as more of an investment. The federal government is investing in renewable fuels. They see the value in the environmental benefits of biodiesel. They see the value in the economics, the jobs that are created by our industry. We currently uh, employ more than 46,000 people in support of the biodiesel industry here in the United States. And so I think those are a couple of great reasons why an investment from the federal government is is important. Let's admit that we're still young. I mean, you mentioned that we've been at it 25 years, but I also mentioned that we've really been growing since 2005. That's just a little over 10 years. So for us, we, we need that continued support uh, to continue growing these operations, these biodiesel plants, and, and, and able to make the decisions to make more uh, biodiesel available. Leaning back on your experience, you spent some time managing a fleet in Missouri. What drew you to uh, this renewable fuel? Yeah, to, to us, whenever I was at MoDOT, and uh, that's been uh, 12 years ago now, so, uh, but the, the interest at that point was in greening their fleet, uh, had a significant diesel fleet, as you might imagine, dump trucks and motor graders and tractors and so on, very significant diesel fleet. And, and trying to green the fleet, the, the nice thing about biodiesel, and that continues today, is it's a very, very seamless transition for diesel engines. You don't have to buy specific equipment. You don't have to buy specific engines. Any diesel engine will burn biodiesel. So we were a centrally fueled fleet at MoDOT. We had our own fueling sites at many of our maintenance buildings and, and locations. And so it was just as simple as finding a biodiesel distributor and saying, hey, next week, start bringing biodiesel not petroleum diesel. So when we think about this industry and going back to Washington, there are a couple of decisions that are important. One of those, the tax extenders. What hope do you have that the tax extenders package can see the light of day in the lame duck session? Well, we do. You know, we're we're hearing a lot of good things and a lot of support. You know, at the Senate, um, the, the certain areas of the House as well. The administration has weighed in and said they uh, want to see the tax extenders be part of what's taken up in this lame duck. But you know, we've had a, a crazy election year this year. We all know that, and so the the dynamics of what happens there is going to have an impact on what issues are going to be brought up in that lame duck Congress. What happens if it lapses, if they don't get the job done and you carry yourself into 2017 without it? Yes. You know, our producer members have seen this happen before. You know, this happened to us in 2015. Uh, We went almost the entire year of 2015 without a biodiesel credit. Um, It came into effect late in 2015 for 2015, and then they uh, passed it for 2016 as well at the same time. So the unfortunate situation with our tax credit is it's not what I would call a 1040 credit. It's not just something that when you file your tax return, you check a box and you take a credit. A lot of the credits in the tax extender package are like that. Our credit is on a per-gallon basis, so for every day our biodiesel producers don't have that credit in place, it provides a lot of uncertainty for them on pricing of their product. So, you know, it's sort of like betting on the come. They would have to figure out in January and February when they price product, are they going to get that dollar gallon at the end of the year or not? And so it's it's a big, big gamble for them, and it's it's uh, it's been very unfortunate for them. And that's one of the jobs that we have is to try to uh, talk Congress into providing that certainty. You know, that's kind of been my theme. I've been talking about that certainty that comes from those policies can be very uh, helpful in making the right decisions for our producer members. There's also other legislation in the Congress that is quite important for the biodiesel industry, that Senate 3188 and House 5420, that would change the target of where the where the credit goes from the blender to the producer. Why is that so important? 
Yeah, the National Biodiesel Board has been uh, trying to make that uh, reform for the last eight years. Um, the credit, when it was passed in 2005, and as, as it is today, is applied at the blender level. So as soon as biodiesel is blended into diesel fuel, that credit becomes available. So what we've seen with uh, uh, the economics in the world markets uh, and the trade uh, trade issues in the world market as well, we've seen an, an influx of imported biodiesel into the United States. So with that credit being applied at the blender level, uh, that dollar-a-gallon credit, uh, is available to all of that blended product, all that imported product as well. Uh, it is our belief that Congress did not and has still today does not intend for that tax credit to be applied to imported biodiesel. Uh, the credit was created to incentivize U.S. biodiesel production. It's done a great job of that, but the dynamics in the marketplace today are different than they were even three or four years ago. And so the the transformation of that credit to a producer's credit will address that issue and better incentivize U.S. biodiesel production. I would have to believe frustrating for you and for your members to know that you have unused production capacity and foreign-produced biodiesel is coming into the country with a benefit from Washington. Well, not only a benefit from Washington, but a lot of that product is coming in with the benefit of the, of the government from where it came from as well. So it's a, almost a double incentivized product. And so it's also having an impact on the pricing of product as, as our domestic producers have to compete with that product. Um, you know, it's coming in in large volumes. It's coming in in boat loads, not uh, uh, rail car loads or, or, or uh, transport loads. And so, you know, that and that, that makes a difference as well. So, yeah, it's been very problematic and challenging for our members to try to compete in those uh, under those dynamics. How would changing that affect the balance of trade? Well, a producer's credit would then be applied at the production of the biodiesel, not at the blender level. And so product that's coming into the country would have already been produced, of course. And so uh, the, the product being imported would not be eligible for a producer's tax credit. I understand that would be about $90 billion a year of U.S. dollars that would stay home and support a domestic industry as opposed to bringing in a foreign product. Absolutely. So it sounds very intuitive that we should uh, we should pursue that, and that's what we've been after again for a number of years. And and we're we're hopeful that even in this lame duck Congress, that uh, as the tax credit for biodiesel is is brought up, that the opportunity would be there to make that transformation to a producer's credit. How does the petroleum industry see soy-based biodiesel? I think it's changed over the years. Uh, what I see is the petroleum industry is more accepting. They've kind of uh, accepted the fact that we do have a place in the marketplace and we can help you know, bring a different product to the market, a product that, quite honestly, a lot of their customers are demanding, you know, a greener, uh, cleaner fuel. And so, uh, you know, I think we see greater partnerships uh, even moving forward than we have in the past with the petroleum industry as we try to bring higher volumes to the marketplace. Well, as standards have changed for diesel fuel itself, it's opened the door for biodiesel in the need for lubricity inside the, the diesel engine. Absolutely. Uh, you know, ultra-low sulfur diesel fuel is cleaner burning, but you're right. What's missing then when you take that sulfur out is the lubricity. And so biodiesel is an easy fix to that problem in, in even low, very low-level blends to making ultra-low sulfur diesel even a better fuel for the engine. We are coming up on a regulatory decision by the Environmental Protection Agency. That is under the renewable fuel standard and the volume obligation for uh, the coming season. How important that that announcement come on time? and match or should it match 
uh, the legislative level that was set by Congress? Yeah, so uh, November 30th is the legislative deadline for the EPA to announce uh, required volumes of biomass-based diesel for 2018. Uh, so we already have volumes set for 2016, of course, and 2017, but this will be for 2018. So uh, the, the the lead time there is important for our producer members to know what uh, the the mandated market is going to look like in 2018, and, and it's also important for for everyone else in that equation. So we're glad that the EPA has finally gotten the timeline back to where it needs to be, so that there's enough advance notice. So what we're looking for, though, is growth and some some level of aggressive growth, uh, you know, on the EPA standpoint. So Congress's mandated volumes for biomass-based diesel uh, stopped back in 2012. So it kicked over to the EPA through a rulemaking process to every year get to decide what the volume is going to be for the for the subsequent years. So we're direct we're working directly with the EPA every year to look at what the volumes are as far as production capacity, as far as feedstock availability, as far as pricing, and then we sit down with them and justify, you know, increases in those volumes. And so um, our concern at this point is the EPA is taking um, a little bit of a conservative approach to that. And so, for instance, the volume that they're proposing for 2018 as part of that, uh, as part of the RVO is 2.1 billion gallons. We will, this year, in 2016, produce closer to 2.5 billion gallons. So we, we feel like the volume in 2018 needs to be set higher because otherwise we're just simply, uh, you know, creating a demand for a product that, I mean, for a le- at a level that's already being, uh, superseded. So we're asking the EPA to set the 2018 volume at 2.5 billion gallons and, uh, we're hopeful that that's going to happen. What happens if the number is lower than what you anticipate? Does that prevent your growth, or can the market grow despite what the EPA says? Yeah, absolutely. This is a good example. This year, 2016, the the, the volume required by the by the RFS is two billion gallons. Uh, as I mentioned, we'll be over, we'll be closer to 2.5. So we can certainly grow beyond that. And there's some, uh, just some mechanisms within the RFS itself that may entice that to happen. But um, what we're saying is our current production is uh, going to be about 2.5 billion. And as we spoke earlier, our capacity is over 3 billion. So we want to see that EPA goal be a little bit more of a stretch so that we, uh, our producer members and, and, uh, and we can, you know, see that growth that we we need to see if you have the opportunity to set in front of the new faces in the house the new faces in the senate if you're talking about the country's commitment to renewable fuel what's your message well our message is uh you know all of the above right the our the demand for diesel fuel is on the increase uh the demand for gasoline is on the decrease uh, gasoline engines have become more efficient, and so you're seeing less demand. Diesel is becoming more in demand as you see more and more you know, heavy trucks and that on the road moving product around. And so uh, we want to be part of that. Uh, the refiners in the country, the petroleum refiners in the country, are nearly at maximum production capacity. Uh, biodiesel can fill in and help that. We are also, uh, you know, we're, we're diversified from a biodiesel standpoint of having biodiesel plants in just about every state in, in the United States. And so, you know, we just want to see that growth continue for our product, and uh, we think it's a great thing for the United States. 
There are those who support the renewable fuel industry and biodiesel because, uh, yes, it is providing energy and additional energy security for the country. The producing of soybean oil into diesel is helping uh, America's farmers, and that supports the food security system. But you've also had some support over history from uh, the Defense Department and those who are about the complete security of our nation and, and protecting freedom around the world. How is that relationship, and, and is that a message that you also share with new leaders? It is a message. Uh, you know, the the Defense Department, I think everybody here in the United States recognizes to some extent that our involvement in the, the disputes in the Middle East, you know, the, between the countries in the Middle East and so on, have some some of that is because of our need for uh, crude oil and, and the energy that comes from the ground there. And so, you know, again, that's one of the things that renewable fuels in general and biodiesel specifically can help to address. And that's why uh, years and years ago uh, Congress got behind biodiesel, incentivizing biodiesel with the production credit that we talked about because they wanted to see uh, a higher level of growth there. You mentioned, you know, the benefits of the soybean farmers as well. It's a significant impact. Impact that biodiesel creates, the, creating value for the soybean oil, which again is a byproduct of soybean production. So it's not the, it's not what soybeans are grown for. We're able to take that byproduct and turn it into a fuel. It's just a great story, and uh, we've always enjoyed bipartisan support in biodiesel, and that continues today. Well, Donnell Rehagen, we want to thank you very much for spending time with us on this edition of Open Mic, sir. It is Open Mic, and you have the last word. Well, thank you for having me, and I'm looking very forward to uh, to my role as CEO here with the National Biodiesel Board. I'm proud of the team that we have and, and that we put together to uh, to serve our members. And our and our big goal is more biodiesel, uh, more biodiesel out into the country where we're seeing environmental benefits of, of using that product. We're seeing economic benefits of the jobs that it creates. And so we're very proud to be a part of that, and I thank you for having me on the show. Our thanks to Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board. Our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. The American Sugar Alliance is a national coalition of sugar farmers, processors, refiners, and suppliers dedicated to preserving a strong sugar industry. Learn more at sugaralliance.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Alley.